This podcast is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. A big thank you goes out to Adnan Isel, owner of Isellers Estate Winery. You can visit them at 615 Concession 5 Road in Niagara-on-the-Lake or check out their website at icellers.ca. Find out how you can support us like Adnan by visiting patreon.com slash twoguystalkingwine. You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. We are in the Toronto studio and Andre has actually opened up a bottle of his own wine today. I have opened a wall. I mean, it was a bottle that was sent to to me for review, and I thought it was very apropos because of what we're going to be talking about today. So you put something out on social media. Did yes. I Did I see that? I didn't put it out on social media. We were actually uh, contacted with oh. the idea for today's podcast. Oh, got it. Okay. And it was someone asking, um, I think just for some direction on how to start a wine cellar, a oh. start a collection, yeah. for $250. Oh. Why is my why is my microphone wiggly? Uh, well, because there's there's three rubber pads and you you put too much weight on it. Too much, too much on the rubber. Yeah, too much on the rubber. No, no rubber on this road. Okay. That's right. Uh, but anyway, we've opened up a Colmena Hypothesis. It's the 2015 version. Smell is like really, really spicy. This yes. one, like this one, is just all all spice to me, right? Uh, it's a lot of fruit poking through there, right off the hop. Little blueberry, little cassis. Yeah. But like, it's a lot of cedar and uh, charred cedar. Like, quite a bit of smoke on that. The smoke. Was that a fire season? <laughs> just, I just asking. So, uh, does it say what uh, what what's in it? it do you does. have the notes? I do. We've got wow. There is a there is a lot of smoke. Like you know, the last time I I tasted a wine that smoky was literally during a, a fire a California fire season. But it, it just... doesn't taste like forest fire smell. Like it, no, no. it tastes like it tastes like barrels barrel smoke, smoke, smoky and and peppery and yeah. These are this is a wine to age. So oh, we got, you decanted it too. So. We got thirty six. Well, we just threw it in the decanter. Thirty six percent franc, thirty five percent merlot, twenty three percent cab so four percent petit verdot, and two percent malbec. A little Malbec in there. Yeah. Uh, 0.74 grams per liter residual sugar and 30% new oak, 35% one year, 35% second year. I, uh, you know what? Speaking of residual sugar and bricks and all that kind of neat thing, I was, uh, I was doing a review of a uh, strewn wine and I went to get the, uh, the technical notes on their website and Cut. they had reversed residual sugar and bricks. So okay. the residual sugar was something like 23.2 and the bricks <laughs> was, uh, 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 3.1 or something of like that. And I was that's like, that's hilarious. That's weird. How do you get that? That's really funny. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, two good wines from Strew and I had uh, a couple of, yes, this, this is definitely something that needs some time in a cellar and it will probably open up as the podcast goes on, but I'm going to sip on this slowly so we can get it at its full potential, but definitely through it in a decanter. Yeah. No, it's a, it's, it's a nice wine. Again, it's a nice wine. So, so a funny story of Kalmina, but anyway, let's we'll talk about that after if you want. Oh, we could kick, oh, no. kick that off now. Oh, it, it just I, I find it hilarious that uh, that that Donald Triggs, um, uh, you know, Bill, you know, of, of Jackson Triggs fame, builds this winery up. Who we uh, interviewed in one of our earlier uh, Legacy series podcasts. So builds this winery up and then uh, ends up selling it back to uh, the the company that that took over Jackson Triggs. I guess that's the show. And I mean, version. Don was very diplomatic about how he talked about the sale and what happened with uh, Jackson Triggs after he got it off the ground. But um, I, I, I think he 
it was safe to say there was some bad blood for a little bit at least. Yeah, I think I got I got that feeling. So. I got that feeling too. I mean, obviously, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but I agree. It's really interesting. It's back in the same hands, and but it's now in Canadian hands. You know, yes. it's, it's still in Canadian hands. Whereas I guess before. It was it was in American hands, and it's always exciting when you see a winery kind of hit the ground running and create the buzz that they've created. Yep. And uh, he's done, and and Sarah, his daughter, have, have done a great job getting the industry buzz about this winery. And the proof is in the pudding. Every yep. bottle of wine I've got from them has been good to great. Let's yep. put it that way. Not a, not every bottle has been a uh, a grand slam home run, but I've not been disappointed by anything we've tasted. There's kind of a, a kind of a gritty cocoa note. Now I'm getting yes. So. I mean, I think that should fall off. Um, that should fall off after it's been in the decanter for a little bit. We'll see what happens from that. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so you want to talk about a two hundred and fifty dollar wine cellar? Well, we were approached to talk about that, and I, th- I think we both thought it was interesting because you and I we both collect wines. Yeah, uh, and we both have a very different philosophy with how we collect wines. And I know we touched on that quite a bit last year, especially when we were talking about. Uh, my hundred dollar bottle of wine, of yes, wine. Yeah. and the, and your newest your newest project your newest the Pinot project yes yeah, yeah totally the uh, but I mean those aren't those aren't wines that are necessarily going in the cellar it's gonna be it's gonna be a very expensive twenty twenty because I'll be perfectly honest with the um, so just to bring people up to speed if you haven't listened to past episodes I want to learn more about Burgundy but I want to learn more about good Burgundy and every month I'm picking a bottle essentially at random from the classics catalog I'm trusting the people at classics who at, at vintages who curate the classics catalog and the wine notes that are put in to the next to the, the wines that are up for sale and basically picking one at random and trying to not pick the same region really twice, but buying the bottle, looking at the map, spending about $60 a month. And so far I haven't been disappointed. I've done this for three months. So November, December, January, but I'll be perfectly honest. The bottle that I bought in December was just so fan fantastic. We talked about it in the favorite wines of the holidays podcast. Yep. I did buy a second bottle that's in the collection because I want to let it sit for a couple of years. All right, it's going to be an expensive twenty twenty though if I do that every month. Yeah, I see that coming. But all right, one hundred twenty bucks a month for two bottles—that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. That's a lot of money. But it's better than your hundred dollar bottles for one. Uh, fair point. Very fair point. Very fair point. <laughs> and that's and that's how my mind works. Yes, I that's get totally bang, how your mind works. Bang for the buck. So. so I gave you homework. I said, okay, let's actually come up with a list of bottles that would populate. Like, you need to start a wine collection today. Yeah. You took What's this, the foundation of it? You took this literally, and I took it figuratively. Hey, I told you to make a list of wines for $250, and I guess you just couldn't be bothered to do your homework. You were the kid who no, didn't do your homework no, at school. No, no, it's you? not that I didn't do that. You, As I said, you took it literally. You said, I'm going to come up with bottles, and I have more of a philosophy. Now, look whose wine cellar is bigger. Okay, but it's not always about size. And let's be fair, you've got you've got a ten year head Can't start make on me. Butter with a toothpick, my friend. You've got a ten year head start on me. Actually, you probably got more than a ten year head start on me. Like, do do you do, can you pinpoint the year you started collecting wine? Uh, no, not really. no, not really. Um, collecting wine, uh, probably sometime around two thousand and. 2004. Okay, so you literally have like a 10-year head start on me then. Okay. I, I started around 2012. Like that was when I started writing about wine, but that was also when I understood that wines could evolve 
in a cellar. But you're not one also who likes a lot of old wine. I don't like wines when they're really, really old. I actually don't have a lot of wines left from when I started collecting in 2010. I rolled the collection over pretty quickly. And I mean, that's one thing. So I think the number and that's, one... And that's, when, where I, that's where I'm different. When, I probably still have some original bottles, which is really weird. I have some 98s and maybe 197. But in spite, in that spite of that, in spite of the fact that you are holding wines that are getting very, very old now... You and I both have at our core the same philosophy with wine collecting is we are buying wines to drink. Because some people may not know this, but you catalog wine cellars. I do. And you're cataloging wine cellars for some people where there is no possible way they could ever drink the entire wine that they have. And you're probably cataloging wine cellars for some people who are buying wine as investment to sell. I I have done that too, yes. Where people are just buying it strictly. They they, They will... Buy apothic red, but they will. They have first growth Bordeaux all over the place. But when we're talking about building a wine cellar, you and I are of the same mind. Where we're talking about buying bottles that will be drank and will be drank eventually. Yes, that's how I. That's how my philosophy is. The other thing is, we are probably, except for your Pinot project that you are working on, are probably buying wines that we have already tasted, so that yes. we have an idea of what is what they would be like. Well, and with the exception of the $100 bottle of wine is now having had an opportunity to travel and meet certain producers, I will buy wine sight unseen from certain producers just because I know the reputation's good. Like I buy Chateau La Confession in Bordeaux Futures every year. We've mentioned that on the podcast. Yeah. Um, just because I know I know John, I know the, the winemaker, and I, it's something I just I want to taste every year. So I have, I have very rarely bought a bottle of wine that I have not tasted. I... Uh, I probably can count on, uh, you know, in the last, say, 10 years, anything that I haven't tasted. So I could count on, on like, one hand the bottles of wine. One of them you actually uh, recommended, so I took it yes. on your recommendation. Uh, Domaine de Remisière. It was the St. Joseph, I and believe. Then, and then, uh, actually, they've, they've come in the last uh, last couple of weeks. So there was also the uh, La Mascotte. Uh, sparkling wine that yes. you recommended, although I had tried that years ago when they came to town, so it was just obviously just five years down the road. Well, yeah, because I, I I did all the tasting for the January Toronto Life just with how yep. schedules worked. Yep. So I was happy that you took the recommendation. Yep. I, you liked it, right? I think I think we both had the, the same sort of feel of it. Like it was it was more of a value proposition than just a knock your socks off proposition. It was it had some good acidity. Uh, I tried it with three other people and everybody liked it. So the bottle went quickly. So that's always a good sign. Yeah, but you know it's sparkling wine Friday. So sparkling wine Friday always means sparkling wine. And so let's talk about this cellar that you have gone out and made. Yes, and I will tell you why you're wrong. Why are you going to tell me why I'm wrong? Go, go ahead. Talk, well, look. I mean, I made a list of... It was just you wanted of, to have this conversation on Facebook, and I, I shut no, you no, down. No, no, no. No, no, I didn't want to have the conversation on Facebook, because you and I have a bad habit of doing this, where we have these great conversations, conversations in real life, and when you try to recreate them on the podcast, it's just and then, not so as good. What you started to tell me was what you had done, and I was like... And I, well, had to, I, was, I had to shut I was that giving conversation you down. I was giving you your homework. I was telling you what and to do. And then you said, here's what I have done. Yes. And then you started giving me numbers, and I was like... Uh, you know what? I'm not getting this on Facebook. I I want to shut you down in person. But go ahead. Let's start with how you would start a $250 wine. Oh, uh, you're such an ass sometimes, Michael. <laughs> um, you know, I sort of went uh, with what I would spend the $250 on. But if we're talking about like a larger philosophical standpoint, you know, if you're talking about buying wines for collection, you're generally looking at 
bigger red wines. Red wines that have some tannin. Uh, red wines that may have a bit of sweetness as well. If you're talking about things like Amarone del Valpolicella, those are wines that age for a really long time and generally have a little bit of residual sugar in them. Okay, you're, I'm waiting for you to start no, no, just, shutting I, me down on this. I, I'm waiting for you to tell me how you built this. I, I understand how to build this cellar, but you have actually put a list, and it's a very short list. It is a short list. It, it did get eight bottles. I gave you the number where I ended up with eight bottles with an average price of about $32 per bottle. Okay. Uh, and, you know, I was actually pleased with myself that I could stretch that $250 among eight bottles, but I will admit it, $8 is not a lot. Because I know with $250, the way you buy wine, that could buy probably twice as much Correct. as what I bought. Correct. And my, my philosophy here is that most people that you talk to who are talking, I have people come up to me all the time, and you probably do as well, talk about how do I start my wine cellar. And well, yeah, that's how this podcast came Correct, but you have people, you know, in person, actually, not just somebody who emails you, and you go, well... Buy Find it. something you like and buy it. Buy a bunch of it, yep. right? And most people in practice can't hold wine. They just can't. So I know. My, what you, what my, parents, my parents bought a, 90, a 90-some bottle wine rack with the intention of building a collection because they've seen what I've done here, and my mother bought some really choice bottles uh, a, a few years ago flat rock like quite a few years ago now flat rock split up their vineyard into three yep. sections depending on where on the hillside the vineyard was split up it was a super cool project that they did and my mother bought all three bottles saying that we were going to get to drink them together and like two years after she bought those bottles i went home and it's just like hey mom I-, I think now would be a good time to check out those bottles it'd be really cool to open them up all gone yeah all gone without me so how many wines are on that 90 bottle rack there are, uh, I think, two bottles on there. Two yeah. bottles of sparkling. Okay. So what you've done here is you've offered up eight bottles Yes. for, for somebody who's probably within two weeks going to drink that up, or a month. They're thinking, I'm going to start a cellar, but then they're going to drink it. What you have to do is you have to start a cellar in volume, and you have to keep buying in volume. And that is the difference between what you've done, which you have taken it literally. Here yes. are eight bottles, yes. where I'm saying to you... Here's, go out and buy three of everything that you're buying. So I would tell you to go out and buy, uh, there's Montez uh, Alpha Cabernet Sauvignon. That's on my list. Which is twenty one ninety five. Uh, it's actually nineteen ninety five. Oh, okay. So I was under the impression that it goes on sale for nineteen ninety five, and twenty one ninety five is now its regular price. No, it's nineteen ninety five right now. Well, that's that's good. regular price right now. Perfect. So go buy three of those. Yep. You buy three of those bottles, drink one now, hold one for two to three, two to five years, and then you drink that one and then figure out what to do with your third bottle. Yes. And I actually you know you know what? In spite of these eight bottles, uh, I agree with you completely on philosophy. But I have to tell you, being a little bit younger than you, I think it's easier for people my age to set those bottles aside because I'm of the age where a lot of people have gotten married and it's quite popular now with wedding gifts to give people wine with tags drink this at your 10 year anniversary drink this at your 15 year anniversary uh and even my friend steve sailor who we interviewed on the podcast the the blind gamer if you want to go back and, and just read something about someone who has a good taste for wine but no idea how to verbalize it, it was a pretty cool interview that we sat down with him but steve came with uh, anya and i to california a few years ago and he still has all the bottles that he bought on that trip because he bought he bought Zinfandel from Comstock. 
he bought uh, bottles from Ridge, and I told him to hold on to those bottles. What did I say that you're smirking about? It's an off-color joke that I have running through my head. So. Okay, just hold on to it. We're not that kind of podcast. But the thing is, Steve Steve enjoys wine. Steve will buy the occasional bottle of wine as well. But for Steve, it's not a challenge for him to actually age those wines because he bought them with the intention of building the cellar. So when I put my list together, I what you're saying so is you 100% him, true. You had him in mind. I had Steve I'm in mind. I'm talking about the average consumer. I'm talking about my neighbor who has said to me, I'm building a wine cellar and – you know, behind his table is is still the thirty bottle rack, and it's never any more full than any time I see him. So I just dis- I made he's this, drinking it, and, and I made I this it. list. I made this list with someone who's actually serious about starting a collection. Oh, I, my way is serious too. I don't yes. think twenty three hundred bottles is not serious, but my was built with volume, as a, as opposed to. I gotta buy forty, fifty, sixty dollar bottles of wine. I am, I am a drinker. I that sounds wrong too. No, no, no. But but I, I, I get what you're I'm saying. somebody who's drinking, and I want to create a cellar that is sustainable. So twenty dollars and under for a bottle of wine isn't uh, isn't a, a crazy notion. No, it's not. And to buy three of a twenty dollar bottle of wine or a fifteen dollar bottle of wine, that's forty five to sixty dollars. Yes, which is not you know crazy go nuts and if you got to start with 250 dollars, my seller will one get you more wine and two maybe if you've got let's say so three let's call it 60 so so six carry the one anyway if <laughs> easy if, there rain man i figure if if i can get you between 15 and 20 bottles you're probably more likely to go also buy more wine before you can finish all 15 to 20 bottles. Yes. Whereas yes, 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 your yes. eight bottles, probably somebody sitting around the house going, well, I wonder what that tastes like. We'll probably yank it out and goodbye seller. So let's hear you know, what your it, eight are. It, it, it hurts my heart to admit that everything you said is correct. Now, that being said... I actually find all of this amusing because you you think I have this like paradigm in my head of what it takes to build a wine cellar, but the bottles I chose were actually with drinkability in mind. Okay, because when I buy that Chateau La Confession in futures, if you're someone who's going to take that wine, open the box the moment it arrives from the LCBO, or to be honest, with most of the Bordeaux futures that you're buying from the catalog, if you take that home and open it without decanting it, like if you're not someone who's at least an enthusiast, let's say enthusiast, let's just use the word enthusiast, and I, I hate the word that it's it's just going to sound snobby, but if you crack that La Confession, the moment it comes out of the box and drink it, it's going to taste tannic, it's not going to taste a lot like fruit, it's going to taste like smoke, like wines like that need to be in a cellar, but I'm not going to recommend a wine like that to someone who's just starting out. Well, I always, because it's exactly like you said, they're not going to have the patience to, to deal with the wine. You also, you also deal with a lot of people who say, you know, I don't like red wine. Yes. I, I always, you know, Ask people when they say that, I'm like, well, what experience do you have with red wine? Because if you, you know, have your Uncle Tony or whatever who either makes his own wine, well, yeah. that's always a that's always a bad start. But Uncle Tony also collects really good wines. And if you had a really tannic Bordeaux as your first experience with uh, red wine, of course you're not going to like it. But if you had a nice Gamay or a Valpolicella or, or something. Or Pinot Noir. Or a nice soft we, we Merlot. Did, uh, you... We did um, 
We did Pinot Noir. Pinot is pol- polarizing for some people. A California Pinot, most people are like, okay, "Whoa!" Let, I love let, that. Let's say you know what? Let, let's go. Let's go near and dear to our heart. I'm saying Niagara and Burgundy. I was going to tell the story for the Picard premiere. I had a couple of friends over who are nerds, not wine nerds, just the regular, just variety. a regular garden variety garden nerds variety will nerd. inherit the earth. But you know, they were more than happy to. I, I assigned them homework. I said, "Captain Picard's vineyard is in Burgundy. Forget this gimmick." You know, California, and I know Chateau Picard, the real Chateau Picard's in Bordeaux. We're drinking Burgundy. I think that's the most appropriate for the show. And uh, they were both like, wow, like this is really good. It's light and fruity. It's, you know, it's really easy to drink. It's very silky. It's just like, yeah. Uh, And they both said, well, we don't usually drink red wine. We don't really like red wine, but we really like this. As an aside, I didn't realize how big a geek you were until we started started talking about Picard and Star Trek. Let's put that that on on pause and we'll do that because I know we have a couple more bottles to get to this. I want to focus on the $250 seller. So, you know what? Let's let's rock down the list. Okay. Um, And. You know, this is not the be-all and end-all. There's a lot of stuff that could substitute, but I've kind of put things into into a category of well, you, wines that'll this, last for a couple this few years. Was, this was your idea for a wine cellar. Yes. So this is, let's hear, I've given my philosophy, which is which is where I base my build a wine cellar on, which is more of a philosophy. Yes. You're building it on certain wines. So let's well, hear but what you've got. But like I said, it's also with a philosophy that these are drinkable wines, and there's certain wines Stop that can sub in and out of this. And just it's not give the me caveat. The, give me the this, this, I'm, I'm giving you, like, this, this is not the be-all and end-all. Give me your Okay, first off. I started with Trius Red. Trius Red's a great wine. Yep. Uh twenty four ninety five, but when mm-hmm. I first started buying it, it was nineteen ninety five. It is one of those wines where if you open it immediately, it's not going to disappoint you, but if you wait a couple of years, it will really really hit you right to your core. You have to know your vintages, but yes, I would agree with you. But even in a bad vintage, it's still a good wine. Or sorry, a, a cold vintage. I don't want to say a bad difficult vintage anymore. Vintage. A difficult vintage. vintage. It's still a good wine, and it's from a producer that has the building blocks to work with. So you know even in a cooler, more challenging vintage, it's still going to be a good wine without having to taste it. Yeah, Trius Red, I, I would give you. Uh, Plus, when, it was, when it was 1995, it would oh, have been man. definitely on my list because I used to buy that by totally. the ton. The other thing about Trius Red is it's readily available. So if you put it on your wine rack, you crack the bottle, and you're just like, man, that's really good, but I want to see what it tastes like. It it goes with your volume proposition. And you're talking about buying one bottle of each of these, correct? Right. I'm I'm, I'm talking about building the collection with the intention of building the collection and forgetting about these bottles for a couple of years at least. Like hide them in the basement and put a guard dog on them. Sort of thing, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully a better guard dog than my dog. Who would probably welcome you? Oh, you, you you want to come see the wine collection? Here, here's a piece of meat. I'm yeah. I'm gonna get some wine. But yeah, tr- uh, the fact that Trius Red is easily replaceable. If you hit the wine collection early and you want to replace it, that's feasible. It's okay. easy to do. Next, uh, Robert Mondavi Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. That's Just, an expensive bottle. It's forty four ninety five. Okay, but it's one of those things where you're not investing in like a Chateau Montalena estate. Maybe some other bigger names, Dominus, like two hundred. Like these are two hundred dollar California wines, and in our hundred dollar wine conversation, these are wines that I now feel, for the most part, are worth the price of admission. Okay. Uh, a Robert Mondavi Napa Cab Sauve is entry level Napa Valley. Okay. Uh, once again, readily available. Could have could have also done the Lewis M Martini. Totally, I was going to say that. So that's why I was saying the ca- the caveat is is kind of sticking with a price point and a region. And making sure you get an idea. And the other thing about the uh, Robert Mondavi Napa cab is it ages very slowly. Like you can hold on to that bottle for a long time before it gets like really old and, and dusty. You know what I mean? I'm with you. Go okay. on. So that was the philosophy with that. Uh, and I couldn't 
do Napa Cab without getting some Bordeaux. I think. What percentage of the wine cellars do you categorize? Is it Bordeaux? Uh, uh, collectors usually are um, like what percentage? They're, they're usually heavy Bordeaux, uh, and if you're not heavy Bordeaux, you're heavy Italy. Like you're one or okay. the other. That seems to, there seems to be a little bit of Burgundy, unless you're a Burgundy kind of hound about the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, I would say that that there's there's kind of a split. Uh, let's go forty percent Bordeaux, forty percent Italy, and then there's a twenty percent smattering of everything else. And probably ten percent Cali and ten percent something else. Um, you know what, Cali? Uh, like, it all depends on how serious you are. It's really interesting because I notice that uh, California is not as interesting to people as they get older. Interesting. Yeah. Because, like, I'm... When they're young, they love California, and as they get older, they get more into Burgundy, they get more into Bordeaux. It's just, it's really interesting to see how that 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 is That is interesting. But, I mean, you and I... But then again, it's it's a money thing, right? As you get older and you make more money, and then you want to buy wines that have, have more value. Interesting. My mind's a little bit blown by the statement that you that you just made because I'm I'm kind of on the on the well I don't drink a lot of expensive wines anyways when I do it's a treat but I don't think I I discriminate even after going to California it's not like I spent the year going nuts acquiring a whole bunch of expensive Californian wines I was still buying uh, my odd bottle of Bordeaux I was still starting to get into Burgundy and obviously giving a lot of love to Niagara but like. Lately on, I'm on a um, an Australia kick. I think there's some really great wines coming from Australia. Then. Yes, I, it, it's, it's been really, really exciting to see and, and some, some good stuff in the. And cake. I sadly, I sadly missed their tasting yesterday. I was in the middle of. Yeah, me too. Okay, next on uh, your list. Chateau Pipo, because I said you needed to Chateau have Pipo, some Bordeaux. That's about forty five bucks. Forty two ninety five. It used to be a little bit lower than that. I I, I don't know if the prices go up and down depending on vintages, but forty two dollars once again. I think I think the LCBO tries to keep them relatively stable. I, I've noticed that about the LCBO. They do try to keep vintage to vintage fairly stable. Yes. But uh, Pipo is one that's uh, red- readily available, one that will age gracefully, similar to that uh, Mandavi Napa Cab. Okay. And, and the reason why I put these two kind of side by side is, uh, like you said, it'll come down to personal preference, whether you like Bordeaux over California or whatever the, the case may be. But you'll be able to see how these wines age uh-huh. side by side. So, Plus, so you're three into eight. Go on. If you decide to, uh, this is gonna be the longest podcast ever. You're it right? will be. Well, it's it'll like freaking be... Thomas Batchelder yeah, having them yeah. on. Well, I mean, what do you mean? I, I put a lot of thought into this. It's not often yeah. that I actually put these brain cells together, but I, I did that. But you know, there's just you, you are now at the point where you can do kind of a cool side by side to see old world versus new world and a similar philosophy Your of winemaking. Right? Saint. Shut up, Michael. <laughs> Uh, 2016 Bachelder Lowry Vineyard Old Vines Pinot Noir, $47.95. Okay. And that is the most expensive wine that I selected, but... So, so far you're, you're Ontario heavy, if you think about it. You're too... This list is very Ontario oh, heavy. Okay, this list is very Ontario heavy because, uh... That's where you are. Being, being a little bit greedy, like it's also what I would spend the $250 on. Okay. What's in, and this is a, probably a fair reflection of what's in my, my collection. Okay. Um, but I mean, it was just one of those wines where, you know, great producer 2016 was an interesting vintage. I mean, a hot vintage for your Bordeaux varieties, but, uh, I think the Pinot and Niagara, even in a hot summer is still much cooler than what you'd expect from say a California Pinot. Okay. Uh, just a wine that I'd want to drink. Okay. I'll be honest. Right. And once again, a wine that if you drink young, you won't feel awful about cracking it open. But in very, very it. limited, um, 
production. Very limited production and just something that you want to so, save, so save the, for a rainy day, special so wine. If you know you do decide that you go, oh, I'm going to drink that after having it in a year, and then you go, oh, damn it, i got to get more of that. Uh, which what a lot of people don't also realize that wine is a finite product. If yes. you want a grommet, you can go out and get a grommet anytime you want to. Yes, uh, you can get Why a Wallace do you pick too. Grommet? Why do you pick grommet? Because you can get a Wallace things. too. Um, but uh, no, Wallace and grommet. You know. No, I love Wallace oh, and grommet. Okay. Jeez. But um, and you can get a grommet anytime you want. But you cannot go out and buy uh, two years later. You're very hard pressed to find that same vintage. But if you're starting to collect wine, you're going to start to learn to have that little bit of heartbreak because some wines you're going to pick are going to right, are going to move you right to the subcockles of your heart and others are going to disappoint you and it's just the risk of collecting wine. Somewhere in the subcockles. <laughs> but I mean it's the same thing your cellar. It, it is the cool thing about your cellar that you bought on volume is you have a lot of value wines. We've talked about it a lot. Yeah. But when we get out there in the summer, it is often a little like Russian roulette where you have to grab sure, four bottles and we get one out of four that's good and three that are mediocre. And I'm willing to take that risk. And the thing is, for me, it's also Russian roulette. Something could be corked. Something could not age too well. Something could have held a little bit too long. Um, but, I mean, it's just it's part of... But you cry over a $60 bottle of wine where I go, eh, it was 10 bucks. Right. So, But I'm willing to take that $60 risk. You're uh, not. I, I am not. Uh, so next down, I, I, we, we got a little bit of uh, South America because South America offers great value. Mm-hmm. Um, and so far is still the king of... High quality value, in my opinion. Uh, the 2016 Vigna Cobos Felino Chardonnay. Okay, so you're putting um, the Chardonnay in the in the cellar. Interesting. Chardonnay is something that does evolve nicely over a couple of years, but Chardonnay is also something that can be very good young. But we're also asking how you, which was never brought up, is how long is this cellar? You know, how long do they, does this person want to hold? Do they want to hold five? Do they want to hold ten? That's a very See, good now question. We're all getting into there, that, but I mean, those are important questions to address. Is is like I said, I actually built this cellar with the person in mind that they're going to get a little impatient and, and hit it early. Right. Most of these wines will be very tasty after two, three years, which is a lot of patience for an average consumer. Correct. But many of them will evolve in other interesting ways over a long time, like that. Mandavi Cavsover, the people would probably both be fantastic after 10 see, years. See where your people is going to add 10 years, that Felino Chardonnay, after 10 years, I would bet you Who 80, knows? 80% Who knows? of people are going to go, that's nah, not Who knows? for me. You and I have tasted stranger stuff out of your cellar that shouldn't have lasted as long as it does. Correct, I think but rarely general, is it a Chardonnay. And I think in general, on the back of a bottle, when people make the age statements, the aging statements, they understate it. And I think it's because of the consumer in mind. You don't want to have someone hold on to something when you say, drink it in 2050 and have them open up in 2050 and be like, what the hell were they talking about? So, all right, so Felino Chardonnay. All right. uh, Odd choice, Canadian Oak Chardonnay. Which one? Featherstone Canadian Oak Chardonnay. Right now they're on the 2017 vintage. Okay. Um, if I can make one statement, 2017 Chardonnay and Pinot from Niagara is stupid good. Yeah. Stock up on any on it. Uh, Montes Alpha Cab So we already talked about it, yeah. and uh, I threw in the Latour Chardonnay Burgoyne, so you can do old world, new world with uh, so with old, your Chardonnay. So a Burgundy Chardonnay seems to age a little bit better than uh, just from personal experience. Yeah, yeah, someone's gonna we're... someone's gonna lose their shit on me at some point at this, but. I do find that uh, Chardonnays from Niagara, and I do I, I do have some, and I have aged them. I have noticed that after about five to seven years, they get a little funky in a way that I am not a big fan of. I agree with you on that, to be honest. I have had 
some stuff from Burgundy that's 10, Takes 12, forever. and they just, you're like, holy God, this is really good. But we have the potential in Niagara, and I just, I don't think we've cracked the, we haven't cracked the code yet for whatever reason, but no, like, I, it's, it is insane how you can get in Burgundy Chardonnay 15, 10 years old that. Yeah. And you're like, still wow, that's still really fresh, young really and vibrant, young. And, the, and the way I like to drink wine. So, uh, but I, I just thought it'd be interesting to put a good value bottle of, of burgundy. Like I said, this is one that will probably be cracked in two, three years. I'm just uh, surprised that you would put so much Chardonnay on the list, uh, but then I but guess like I said, I'm these not are, knowing you. But it's also, would... like I said, this was, this was mean for me. A lot of these whites are interchangeable. Riesling ages really well, but, uh, but, around, the same, but in... around the same price point. We could do the same thing where if you want to grab a Featherstone, a Vineland, and what, a Dr. Lucin? You're going to save a few dollars. Like, look, the, uh, the Lucin uh, Dr. L is $13, $14. Yep. Uh, pick up three of those. You still got lots of room in the cellar if yeah. you're a Riesling fan. Look, yeah. if, if you're not a Riesling fan, you're not a white fan. Stock it all red. I would just go with the rule of three, and I would go with wines that are twenty dollars and under. Stuff that either you've tasted or are interested in, or that you've read about. Uh, how my cellar gets its start is, let's be honest. I was I was reading uh, Toronto Life, uh, and David Lorison used to put this guide together. Uh, of all the wines that came through the general list. And that's where I started my cellar. I would see his scores, see them highly rated, and I would see they were in my price point. And damn you, David Lorison, one day when I was d- uh, doing the under $10 wines, when you could actually get wines for under $10, I saw him rate a long, an Australian wine called the Long Flat Red at $10.05. And I was like, I can't buy it because it's, it's over 10 But then I convinced myself that it's only $0.05. Cents. But the moment you go over $10, you can no longer say... I'm buying wine under ten dollars, yeah. even if it is five cents, which pushed my limit up to twelve dollars. And then when I broke that and barrier, you gradually get more and more expensive. So um, I'm, I'm, I agree with you with like ninety percent of what you said. I think the best place to really the best price point to start uh, a wine cellar is that between twenty and thirty dollars, because you're moving generally away from a lot of the larger wineries and dealing more with wine made on a smaller a smaller scale. You're dealing with more craft wine wine that's actually built with purpose of sitting in someone's cellar for a little bit in that price range not saying that there aren't gems in the the 10 to 20 like i i have never once said a single bad thing about your cellar on this podcast oh there's lots of bad things to say about that cellar like it takes up a lot of room <laughs> i mean that's the other thing is my wife has all kinds of bad things collecting to say about collecting wine takes up a, a lot of room like my right. second my second bedroom in my apartment which is quite spacious it hosts my office. It hosts my wife's office, but it is hosts fi- your wife. My wife, when she doesn't want to sleep with me, is. <laughs> but it, but it, it's like fifty percent occupied with bottles of wine, and that's not a bad thing. No, it's not. Um, other things that were omitted from the list: sparkling is something that ages pretty gracefully, but only if you like old sparkling. You gotta like old sparkling. Uh, yeah, ice was, wine is one. If I had a, if I had a little bit more money, I probably would have put a couple bottles of yeah, ice wine. You're looking at fifty dollars of a totally. half bottle, so that's that's a tough one. My 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 thing still applies. Buy in, in volume. And one of the things that I would recommend, and before we close this thing off, is if you're really interested to find out how wine ages, is to get a cheap bottle of wine, but buy it in a case. Yes, and so yes. Like, this, this is you know what this is my favorite thing you suggest. I'm sorry to cut you off, but it's just like it hurts me so much that I've agreed with you so much during this podcast. But it's just like. It is kind of cool, though, because how different you and I have a certain philosophical approach with acquiring bottles that are in your collection once the collection gets going. At least at the core, we're doing the same thing. But I mean, like, like there's some great cheap bottles of, yeah. of, of Italian stuff. Like, Cusumano yes, 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 yes. has stuff that's like seven, eight, 
10 bucks. You can buy a case of that for $120, put it in your cellar. And I mean, it's not meant to age 12 years, but if you open a bottle every six months, you get the idea of what a bottle is supposed to be like. So by or the save sixth your, year, or save your nickels and buy a case of Montez Alpha Cabernet Sauvignon and open that every six every months. Six months. That's two hundred and forty dollars. Which, once again, I realize is a lot of money, but it's not that much for twelve bottles of wine. No, I got my start was with the with a um, San Pedro uh, Gato Negro, which was at one point nine dollars a bottle. Yeah. so that's how I did. That's how I knew how I liked my wine. I do like it a little bit more aged. So thanks to uh, the person who suggested this to us. It do was you on know Instagram. who it was? Uh, you know, I can pull it up. Why don't you do your wrap up and I'll bring this up. Oh, here. all right. So oh, so we are, by the way, we were tasting this uh, this Calmina hypothesis. I don't know how. Oh, we're, we're about half an hour in here. Oh, yeah. We've been, so, we've been talking a while. So uh, I'm going to give another taste just to really quickly. I killed my I killed my glass, but it's still quite smoky. It's starting to get um still getting it's still smoky, but it's starting to get an underlying juiciness to some of that black fruit. The cassis is starting to come through, a blackberry. There's a lot of pepper though here, so and I don't know where exactly that's from. So maybe it uh, was David Marshall W D Marshall eighty four on Instagram. Well, thank you, David Marshall. Yes, uh, thank for you for that. the suggestion. I'm sorry that I didn't write your name down prior to this, but I did my homework. Michael didn't, but he was still surprisingly... No, I did my uh, homework because I have a philosophy where you have a literal wine cellar. Well, that's, that's the difference between us. You go over the edge, and I don't. Okay. I take the easy road. So, uh, you can send us suggestions anytime at twoguystalkingwine at gmail.com. Uh, please check out our Patreon, Two Guys Talking Wine. You can... Subscribe to that for like two bucks a month or five bucks a month if you're really feeling generous. But it really does help us uh, cover our costs. Uh, you know, we're not spending it on wine. It's literally just to make sure we're covering the SoundCloud hosting, the podcast hosting. Um, so you are not making Michael and I independently wealthy. No. Uh, but it's if you consider it, we greatly appreciate it. We I know do. it sounds like I'm hat in hand, but it's just uh, I just wanted to sort of explain where that money goes. I'm, pretty wordy i'm having a thomas Bachelder day today you are having one of those days so, i'm andre prue from andrewinereview.ca and i'm michael pinkus of michael pinkus winereview.com and, I'm and subscribe to the, the podcast finger. subscribe to the podcast not the not the middle finger but a finger subscribe to the podcast on itunes tell people about it leave us a review although there's someone who keeps leaving a one-star review i'm gonna find you yeah why are we getting one-star reviews like what uh, we're, we're abrasive Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.